All right, welcome. Welcome, I'm Pastor Matt, and in just a moment, we are going to be looking at the last section in Mark uh, chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible is broken up into two major sections. The Old Testament is about the first two-thirds, three-quarters of the Bible, and then the the final third or quarter is called the New Testament. The New Testament begins with four mini-biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus. The first is Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John, if you need uh, to help find the page, usually Bibles have a table of contents, but Mark chapter 4 is the big number, and then we're going to look, uh, start with verse 35, which are the smaller numbers. Um, just wanted to just reflect a little bit on just the, being a part of this church family. I celebrated nine years on June 21st serving this body, and uh, about that time, a few weeks before that, we were on an elder retreat, and uh, each year the elders gather and they pray and we try to think about the future of our church family. And um, I went into that retreat probably more tired than any other retreat I've been on. Uh, and so I just want you to know that the five other men there, they have a big agenda. Because if it would have been my plans for the next year, we would do nothing but take long naps. Um, but I'm excited, and we'll talk more about this in August, but one of the kind of the looking ahead to what it means to serve God is um, we want to pursue God for the joy, despite the cost, for the family. One of the great privileges it is when you grow in your relationship with God is you realize that when you trust Christ, you're part of God's kingdom. This is the most important endeavor on the planet to be a part of God's kingdom. He is advancing his kingdom. He is on the move. Jesus is building his church. And so we can give ourselves to lots of things, but if we're not giving ourselves to the kingdom, we're not giving ourselves to the thing that will last forever. And so we have a great calling, but also a great privilege to be a part of God's kingdom. And so I just pray as a church family and as individuals and as individual families, like, is the kingdom of God the priority of our lives. Matthew 6, Jesus instructs, this is wisdom, this is guidance, this is guardrails. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things, your food and your clothing and your house. He'll take care of those things. So it's a great privilege to be part of God's kingdom. But as I said, for the joy, despite the cost, for the family, uh, over the next year, and really until you die, thanks for joining this church, we think that it's a costly thing to be a disciple of Jesus. But it's the right cost. It's the worthy cost. And so uh, just to, you know, as you think about it, if you're, if you're growing in your relationship with God and you're wanting to profess Christ, next week we're actually having a, a, a pool party, a picnic, church family thing. I'd love for you to be there as a part of our church family, but also if you're ready to profess Christ in baptism, I encourage you to come to a class today at 11. And we'll talk more about what baptism is. We're also going to talk about the Lord's Supper is. If you need a refresher on baptism and the Lord's Supper, even if you have been doing those things for a long time, so you can come join us and talk about these wonderful gifts that God has given the church. Also at 11 o'clock, there's adult Sunday school, kids Sunday school. I just encourage you to prioritize those things for your own hearts and ministry. Another thing that you can be a part of, a couple of things that you can be a part of to be a part of the, the great kingdom is, one, uh, in the name of Jesus, we're going to be giving out some backpacks uh, to 
uh, families and kids in needs uh, here in Marion uh, this fall. And there's, you can sign up to get one of these, to provide one of these backpacks and the school supplies. And it takes a little bit of time, a little bit of money, but it, we're going to try to bless people in the name of Jesus. And then to remind you that as of last week, our mission team, the whole team was short about $3,500 to go to Ukraine in the end of July. And if the Lord leads you to uh, give uh, for this team going to the Ukraine, um, that would be a blessing. And if we make, if you guys give more than that, don't worry, we'll send more missions teams and use that money later. Praise be to God. Let me pray, and then we'll dig into God's word together. Lord, thankful for the privilege it is to be a part of your family, that by your grace through your Son, you call people out of darkness into this glorious kingdom, the Son's kingdom, the Son uh, who is the radiance of God's glory, the Son who through him all things have been created on earth and in heaven, visible and invisible, thrones, authorities, they are under Jesus Christ the King. And he is the head of the church, which he has purchased by his own blood. And he will come one day, and he will judge the living and the dead. He will make all things right. He'll wipe the tears away of the, from the righteous, and he will place the wicked under his judgment. And we thank you that there is a worthy judge who can work through all the intricacies of what is right and wrong and do it in a fair and honorable way. And so we worship you, Jesus, for who you are, what you've done, and what you will do. Lord, I pray for just uh, saints here today, Lord, that you would build us up. Pray for those who are seeking, Lord, not yet in the family of God, but are here to listen to truth and be, see truth lived out in those who profess Jesus Christ, that this would be instructive and helpful, that they would, uh, they would count the cost. They would see what it means to follow Jesus, but they would see that it is worth the cost. For you are worthy, God, of every aspect of our lives, our hearts, our minds, our soul, and strength. And uh, though even in our best we will sin, even on our best days there's enough sin in our heart to condemn us, in the mercy of Jesus there's forgiveness and hope for new days. Encourage the faint-hearted today. Draw near to the sick. Bring low the proud. But in all things build us up. Make us love one another. Make us a stronger family, more caring friends. Lord, sustain us in our weariness. And even when we think that we, things are going well, we'd remember that all gifts come from your hand. So bless us now as we hear your word and pray that I would speak words that are true and encouraging and right so that we would go out fed and uh, fit to serve you this week. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So when I was in the fifth grade, I had a neighbor friend named Jerry, and he and I tried to be funny. Key word there was try. Um, and one day in PE class, we thought it would be funny to pretend, this was a very popular thing in fifth grade, to, for Jerry to pretend to do something called depants me. And this is where you would pull down someone's pants and expose their underwear for all to see. But I, that day, was wearing biker shorts. So all will be well. And so Jerry proceeds with the joke at hand, and unfortunately he snagged my biker shorts as well. And the joke was on me. 
The only reason I thought of that story this week, that week was I was trying to ask my own heart, what do I fear most? And though uh, almost 30 years have gone by, I fear the loss of my reputation. I don't, I don't know what your fear is, your greatest fear. I mean, most parents fear the death of their child. Most of us feel fear a painful, long, drawn-out illness. Some fears are very lingering, decades-long lingering fears. Some are debilitating. Um, some fears we laugh at of others, and then, the, the, just so you know, they're laughing at your fears. You know, some of us fear the election of certain political candidates, some of us fear cancer. Some of us fear vaccination. Some of us fear extraterrestrials. Some of us fear family reunions. Some of us fear toxins in the produce aisle at Aldi. Either way, there's fears that just erupt in our hearts. And so the text that we're looking at is a little bit about how to face our fears. But more importantly, I think it's teaching us who we should actually fear. Because fear rightly placed is fear right. Now, I want to watch this. Uh, we're going to read the whole text, but I want you to see this story, this encounter with Jesus, play out in three different stages. Let me read the text, then we'll walk back and look at stage number one. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and following. It says, That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boats. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this. Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right, stage one of Mark chapter four. Stage one is Jesus leads us into mega storms. Jesus leads us into mega storms. Now, the reason I use the word mega is that's actually the Greek word to describe this furious squall. If you translated it a little more literally in the Greek, it would be a great or mega storm of wind. Jesus leads us into mega storms. Now what's so interesting about the Gospel of Mark is it's probably, it's probably the recollections in the preaching ministry of Peter now put to paper. And it reads like a wonder, I mean, could you just imagine the Apostle Peter telling this story around a campfire? So it was a long day of teaching, guys. And then Jesus, he says, all right, everybody, we're getting in this boat. And we get out in the middle of the boat, and it's crazy, and the wind was blowing. And do you know where Jesus was? He was sleeping in the back of the boat. 
In fact, in fact, scholars note that one of the unique things about the, the Gospels of Jesus Christ is all of the little details. Now, there was no such thing in the ancient world as historical fiction, where you would include these little details. If you read ancient stories and ancient myths, they didn't include things like a cushion. Oh, and there were other boats. And so what we have here is eyewitness testimony written down with precision and these little added details that some of them don't even add to the story. The reason why they're there is because that's what Peter recorded. That's what Peter remembered and said, this is what happened. Now, it's interesting about the Sea of Galilee, which is what they're on. The Sea of Galilee itself is about 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by some mountains that are as high as 9,200 feet above sea level. And so what happens on the Sea of Galilee is the, strong, the cold wind, the cold temperatures on top of the mountains can flow down and hit the warmer temperatures below sea level, causing crazy storms. In fact, if you go, I read this this week, if, if you go to the Sea of Galilee today, there, there's restaurants now around the lake, and there's signs that say, don't leave your car here overnight because in the event of a storm, this parking lot is sometimes 10 feet underwater. Right? So I mean, this area is just known for having mega storms, and they're in a boat. In 1986, they discovered a boat at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee that was probably the type of boat, a first century boat, similar to the one that they were in. It was 27 feet long and four and a half feet wide and held about 15 people. Now, those of you who know anything about boats know that a 27-foot by four-and-a-half-foot boat filled with 12 people is not really fit for hurricane weather. Now, what I don't want you to miss, though, is verse 35. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, I want to go to the other side. I want to get in this boat, and I want to go through that water, and I want to get to that spot. Friends, Jesus led them into this storm. Why, what do I mean by that? I mean, Jesus, I believe, knows everything that's about to happen. This is the Jesus that one day said to his disciples, it's recorded in John chapter 4, I want to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman where they were going to talk about living water. This is the Jesus, as recorded in John chapter 1, when Nathaniel heard about Jesus from a friend. When Nathaniel shows up, Jesus says, oh, I saw you when that guy came to you and he named the type of tree that Nathaniel was under. This is the Jesus that they needed to pay a tax, and he said, go throw a line into the water, and you will catch a fish with a gold coin in its mouth. This is the Jesus who predicts the location, nature, and timing of his death. This is the Jesus who knew the name, heart, and nature of a betrayer, and this is the Jesus who predicted the denial of Peter and his future repentance. When Jesus says, we're going to the other side, he knows what's going to happen, and he is leading them into this storm. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10, we read this about God. Remember the former things, those long ago. I am the God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. Jesus leads us into mega storms. I was thinking this this past week about our church. 
of just some of the storms. In my first year, of here, first year here, we had to bury a young mother because of cancer. We prayed that she would be healed. She wasn't healed. I was thinking of a couple who wanted to adopt a baby, and they waited, and they waited, and years went by, and then they got the word, and six months later, when the birth mother gave birth to the baby, she kept it rather than give it up for adoption. This, we, we were just on vacation, and my wife and I, we listened to the story of Johnny Erickson Tata while we were driving. Johnny Erickson was a 17-year-old girl in a diving accident, and when she hit her head, she became a quadriplegic. In her own words, I, she, she wanted to die when she realized she would not have the use of her legs and her arms. And yet, an article written in 2017, after 50 years of being a quadriplegic, she writes this. I would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than on my feet without him. That's also after a battle with breast cancer, which she's now fight, facing again. Jesus leads us into mega storms. So what storms are you in? Are you facing? Do you have an upcoming doctor visit? Are you experiencing a financial expense that wasn't in the budget, a job loss? And maybe you feel like Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat. Look at verses 37 to 40. It says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Notice the, the question at the end of verse 38. The, the disciples shake Jesus to consciousness, and they say, don't you care if we drown? What they're doing in this moment is they're accusing Jesus of malice. You want us to die? I mean, the storms are going on for a while because by the time we get to the story, it's swamped. So, I mean, it started with the water at their feet and then it moved up to their knees. And at some point, they're like, maybe we should wake up the miracle worker guy. Jesus leads us into mega storms, but look what he does then. All of a sudden, he wakes up and Jesus speaks and he brings, guess what, a mega peace. It's actually the same Greek word when it says that the wind died down and was completely calm. It was a great calm. He rebukes the wind. Now, a rebuke is generally done only to someone beneath you. That's how rebukes generally work. Staffers are not rebuking the president. Kindergartners are not rebuking their teacher. But it says, Jesus, he rebukes the wind, the waves, the water. Do what he says. Who has this kind of authority? 
could turn back to Psalm 107, we read a little bit about the one who has this sort of authority. Psalm 107, verse 23. It says, Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. You know, a lot of local TV stations, they have weather trackers, right? Or storm chasers. And, you know, they foolishly get in a van that they, with their video cameras and they go and they chase down storms. Um, what's different, though, is Jesus is not a storm tracker. He is a storm stopper. Stops the storm. He speaks a word and the storm stops. This is very reminiscent to Genesis chapter 1, God spoke a word and it was. Here, Jesus speaks and water, wind, and waves do exactly what the Creator says. About a century ago, there was a prime minister and theologian by the name of Abraham Kuyper. He writes this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence on which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. Cells, every cell of your body, every planet in the solar system, every sequence of events in history are under the authority of the Son of God. Verse 40, he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So at this point, Jesus has been with them for a year and a half or so, and they've seen him do these miracles. He's he's healed the the paralyzed, and he's forgiven the sinner, and the, the, the mute are speaking, and the deaf are hearing. This is a Jesus. He's saying, don't you see who I am? Don't you see what I do? How could you be afraid, my friends? They accuse Jesus of not caring, and he accuses them of not trusting. Don't you trust me? He's saying to them, and now he says to us, Oh, my disciples, oh, my followers, don't you see? I am not surprised by storms, and I'm not lacking in resources to get you through the storm. In stage one, Jesus leads us into mega storms. In stage two, Jesus speaks and he brings a mega peace. Now, sometimes the mega peace is the circumstance. Right? He can say to a storm, be still. He can say to cancer, be gone. He can say to the lame, walk. But in much the same way, Jesus can bring peace to your heart. He can sustain you in the storm. This is why 
some of the stories of the first, second, and third century martyrs of Christendom. They walk to their stakes and the bonfires with a peace that passes understanding. Because he can still, he can speak and give you a mega peace in your heart. Let me ask a question. How would you finish this prayer this morning? Jesus, the storm that scares me, but I believe you can handle is. Finish that sentence. Jesus, the storm that scares me, but I believe you can handle is. Jesus, the storm that scares me, but I believe you can handle is. Let me give you 15 seconds. Finish the statement. Close your eyes. Pray. Jesus, the storm that scares me, but I believe you can handle is. Stage one, Jesus leads his disciples into mega storms. Stage two, Jesus speaks and creates a mega peace. But don't miss stage three. Jesus stirs a mega fear. Verse 41, they, the disciples, were terrified. Same Greek word, a mega fear. They, were, they had a great fear. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. The disciples feared a great fear. They feared Jesus. Who is this man? Who can do this? Certainly he's not just a human. It is interesting, for those of you who are... uh, fascinated by religious history and the so it is interesting that the doctrine of the trinity which believes that there is one god who has eternally existed as father son and holy spirit comes out of the jewish faith that was fiercely monotheistic it would be those of you who like religious history it would be unlikely that fiercely monotheistic jews would eventually worship jesus as god unless it were true This is the beginning of the Trinitarian theology in a boat. (laughs) Who is this guy? Who is this man? He speaks, and the waves become a whisper. Jesus is the fear to end all fears, or the sum of all our fears. This is who we should fear. I haven't seen the new Jurassic Park movie, but I have seen the original, in theater even. And those of you unfamiliar with the story of Jurassic Park is some scientists figure out a way to take some DNA and make dinosaurs alive again. And guess what? It doesn't go well. But there is this scene later in the movie where a bunch of velociraptors, which are about eight, foot, eight feet, nine feet tall raptors who are uh, flesh-eating dinosaurs, have our protagonists cornered and they're scared because the velociraptors are going to kill them. And right when the velociraptors are about to succeed, 
a T-Rex shows up and just gobbles up the Velociraptor, no problem. At that moment, they realize they have something much more scary than Velociraptors to deal with. The storm is the Velociraptor. Jesus is the T-Rex. This is the fear to fear. This is the, this is the actual dangerous thing going across the sea. It's not the wind. It's not the waves. It's not the water. It's the guy who had been sleeping on a cushion in the boat. Who is this? man. For a moment, the curtain is pulled back, and the glory and the majesty and the power of the Son of God is on display in the stilling of a storm. There's a secular historian in the 20th century named Theodore Rozak, and one of the things that he was documenting in history was that throughout the 19th and 20th century, there had been this attempt by scientists and philosophers to remove any sense of transcendence, right? We can explain away everything, evolution and and rationalism and the denial of the spiritual. We don't need those things. We can explain it with chemistry sets and and telescopes. This This is what's going on in the world. Don't you get it? But what Theodore Rozak realized as he looked at what had happened is his words where he says, without transcendence, the person shrinks. And that he was realizing that humans have been made for transcendence. We have been, we have been made to be awed by things greater and, and more powerful and majestic than us. This is why people go to Niagara Falls. It's really expensive. It's hard to get there. But you just go there so you can say, that's a lot of water. Right? And people will drive all the way to Colorado to do what? Those are big. But in the, there's a moment in, in, in just na- nature's grandeur where you feel delightfully small. We spend most of our lives trying to be big, trying to be impressive. But you know when you feel most human, it's when you're delightfully small. You're like, wow. What the 19th and 20th century did, it's like they, they backed up a uh, concrete mixer truck and they, they, they covered the beautiful, supernatural, spiritual world with concrete. But what it turns out is, if you try to cover the rainforest with concrete, the vegetation eventually breaks through the concrete. And so that's what's been happening, really, in the last 30, 40, 50 years, is you, no matter how hard people have tried to deny the spiritual, we recreate it. And this is why, like, um, I would say that why diets are almost invested with spiritual meaning now. Well, I deny Jesus, but eating clean will allow me to experience a level of humanity that no one has experienced. Because you need transcendence. This is why if you want to be rich, become a yoga instructor. Because people are craving for the spiritual, and so they deny God. But somehow this pose will bring out some sort of, that's pretty good. Well, somehow bring out, bring out some level of innate humanity that was missing. And, but if you can connect your aura with this and that, we're, we crave for these things. But guess what? They're all substitutes. And many of them are dangerous substitutes. 
Some have turned to substances to have out-of-body experiences, various forms of meditation, sexual exploitation, uh, uh, transgenderism. There's this sense in which who I am is not enough, and so we start finding other ways to be or to feel. But there's substitutes. Jesus is the pinnacle of humanity's search for transcendence. This is why way back in the book of Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When we rightly place Jesus in the place that he truly is, it's the beginning of truly living. Remember Rozak said, without transcendence the person shrivels, but under a sovereign, mighty Jesus, life begins. He is God, he is Lord, he is judge, he is to be feared He's not to be manipulated. He's not to be co-mingled with other religious ideas. He is Lord. And when he speaks, waves listen. The question is, when he speaks, though, do we listen? Right? I think it's, it's very popular today to think that the commands of the Bible are out of date. But the winds obey Jesus. Do we obey Jesus? Do we trust that what he has to say about greed and marriage and what it means to be male and female, about what it means to love and to sacrifice, do we believe that that is what resonates as true or we make our own version of truth? Who do we fear? But note well this. He's not a meat-eating T-Rex. All metaphors break down. Remember the accusatory question of the disciples? Jesus, don't you care about us? And the answer is yes. A thousand times yes. A million times yes. Because the greatest storm did not happen on the Sea of Galilee. The book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed against all sin and unrighteousness. Which means the greatest storm hanging over our lives is the justice of God. That is far more severe than any floodwaters, far more severe than any diagnosis of cancer. It's that we are out of step, out of relationship with God, and there will be consequences. This is, it's called the wrath of God. It's the storm of God. We sang about it in the song in Christ alone, that it is a real thing. Um, in John chapter 3, verse 36, uh, this is right after the for God so loved the world passage. When it gets to verse 36, it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So this is an image of when we sin against God, God's wrath is over us like thunderclouds and and lightning. And some of that wrath you experience now with the guilt and the shame and the devastation that sin brings. But that's not the worst. There is a judgment to come. The opposite of eternal life is eternal death. That's when we are held guilty for our sins. That is the storm that is over us. And so when the disciples ask, don't you care about us? Jesus says, yes, that's why I'm here. I'm going to the cross because of that storm that's over your head. The storm of God's judgment is over you, and I'm going to face that storm on the cross, and I'm going to bring peace to your soul. I'm going to make you right with God. 
And so that whether you face paralysis or cancer or death or shame or the loss of your reputation, the greatest storm has been taken care of because you are right with the living God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a storm stopper. Jesus doesn't want us to stay in cowering fear, but a loving, trusting fear, an awe, an amazement of a God this big, this loving, this good. Oh, that would weigh on our hearts every minute of every day is both the gravity of the glory of God and deep gladness for the grace of God. It would change how we live. Storms would come, and rather than like shake Jesus and say, get up, you'll say, Jesus, I know you're here. I know you're good. I know you love me. Why? Because of the cross. And so no matter what little storm comes your way, no matter what little velociraptor goes after you, Jesus is bigger and better, and he'll hold you and sustain you. He can give you a mega peace. I was reading this week about a guy named Howell Harris, famous 18th century uh, preacher from Wales. And they would do these open-air preaching, large crowds, and in every crowd there were huge hecklers and antagonists to what they were preaching. And so one day, Howell Harris stood up to give the, and he gave the text. This is how the Puritans would preach. You give the text, and then you begin. But he, my text today is Revelation 6.17. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? And in the crowd, there was a heckler, a clown dressed up who had been mocking all the open-air preachers. George Whitfield had just finished. He would have been mocking George Whitfield the entire time. And so Howell Harris says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? And the clown yelled in the crowd, I am able. Interestingly enough, Howell Harris pointed at the man and he said, what you, you poor, contemptible worm. And the man couldn't move for 60 minutes. And Howell Harris preached to a quiet crowd about the reality of God's wrath, but the reality of the son who died to take away God's wrath for those who will believe. Do you fear Jesus? rightly, properly? Do you trust him as good? Will you care for me? Yes, a million times, yes. He died for us to still the greatest storm that ever, we've ever faced. And he'll give you peace through all the little storms along the way. I'm going to have Gary come up, walk us through the Lord's Supper. Remembering the reason we take the Lord's Supper, this is a sign of God's favor to us, pointing back to the cross. This is the meal that remembers why God's wrath has been removed for those who trust in Jesus, that Jesus died in our place. His body bore our guilt. His blood was shed for our sins so that we might have peace with God. Brother, take us to the side.